Good morning, everybody. All right, it is so good to be with you guys today. All right, uh, we are going to jump right in this morning. We are in the middle of a series uh, called Proverbs, and the, uh, the sort of the subtitle of that is Wisdom for Idiots, because that's what many of us are, and we need great wisdom. So um, no offense to you guys if that's you, but if it is you, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you right now, not my words, okay? So um, but go to our first slide. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is our key uh, verse for this whole series. And I want to keep this verse before your eyes every week so that this sort of uh, sinks into your brains and your hearts. Uh, here's the, the, the key verse for the whole book of Proverbs. is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I've spent some time in the recent weeks talking about the fear of the Lord, but I want to focus on the second half of this verse today. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you're someone who... You just hate authority. You can't stand people telling you how to live, what to do. Then, I mean, the Bible has some pretty harsh words for that. He says, fool, right? Some pretty harsh words if if you put yourself in that category. Now, I know there's lots of different ways that you discuss with your parents um, things that, that they should or should not hold you to. But he's basically saying if you... Across the board, I understand there are legitimate discussions that must be had between you and your... I get that. There are legitimate discussions that must be... Mom, you're being too strict. Dad, you're being too strict. I get that. There's some, some room for that discussion. But if you're someone that, as a general rule, you just hate authority, you hate instruction, just across the board from, from teachers, from pastors, from principals, from parents, from people that, that are older than you, if, that, if you just hate that, then the Bible has some pretty harsh words for us. I mean, he calls, he calls us a fool, if that's us. So I want this, this passage to kind of bleed down over everything else that we look at uh, today as well. Now, today is a very difficult topic. We're discussing sexuality today. And I know that um, as soon as I say that word, everyone's brain sort of turns a certain direction. For some people, I might be like, oh, not again, right? For someone else, it's be like, oh, good, right? If that's you, it's pretty scary. Um, but for everyone kind of has that first reaction, right, when I even say the word. And so, but I want to just, I really prayed this week that, that those initial reactions wouldn't be something that you use to keep you from doing what God wants to do in you this morning. And so I pray that, that that does happen, that God really does speak to you this morning from his word in this, I think, very, very critical area, especially at the age that you're at. Now, as a dad, I'll be honest with you, as a father of a boy and a girl, I am terrified. I am literally terrified of what kind of world they are growing up in. And I'm not one of those people that says, like, man, things are just crazy now. Like, things have never... I mean, I know things are always crazy. I mean, ever read, like, the history of the Roman Empire, right? Pretty immoral people, okay? So I'm not saying that, like, oh, it's, it's worse now than it was when I was a kid. But I am saying that now that I'm a parent and I have two children, I am terrified of, of their lives in this area, sexuality. And I don't have to tell you guys this. You know this to be true. Our culture is so just jacked up in this area. Is it not? 
I mean, we are messed up people in this area of sexuality. I read you some statistics. This is just uh, pornography just in the U.S. alone. There is $14 billion spent annually in the U.S. alone on pornography. That is more than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined, their budgets. That's more than pro baseball, basketball, and football combined. There are 260 pornography videos made per week. There are three times more adult video stores than McDonald's. Think about that for a minute. Three times more stores than McDonald's. There are, there are 260 million porn- pornographic websites. In 1998, there were 14 million. So in a matter of 14 years, it's gone from 14 million to 260 million websites. Pornography sites are 25% of all search engine requests. Every second, get this, every second there is $3,000 in the U.S. alone spent on pornography. So, one, two, three, four, that's, do the math, $12,000 spent on pornography. Here's the ones that really get me. 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed pornography online. The average age of a first-time viewing on pornography is the age of 11. Uh, The number one online pornography consumer are boys aged 12 to 17. Number one. In a recent report, this is totally broke my heart when I read this. In a recent report, uh, it said that children as young as five years old are acting out sexually on their friends, five years old, six years old, because... They're getting a hold of their parents' smartphones and looking at pornography at the age of five, six years old. They're seeing cases of kids coming into counseling centers that are that age and acting out sexually because of what they're seeing on iPads and computers and, and iPhones. And they have no clue what they're, what they're messing with. And parents aren't doing enough to protect their kids. In the same report that I read, there was a report of, a, of an 11-year-old girl sexting someone on a cell phone. And when you, when you hear those kinds of stats, it just blows your mind as to where we are today with our sexuality. And as a pastor, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I have seen, I have seen this issue literally destroy people, destroy families, destroy marriages, destroy just people individually. I've seen it take its toll in so many areas of life that I can't even list to you right now the number of cases that I have just that I've known about throughout my my time. So look at Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 5. And it's, it's a bit ironic that Solomon is writing this to us because he was one of the worst ones. He's one of the worst offenders, wasn't he? But here's the issue, though. Is this going to be a deal where, because we look at Solomon's life, we say, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to him because, I mean, he, he really messed up in this area. Or do you look at him and say, well, you know what? He might have some great wisdom as a result of his own sin in this area of sexuality. So look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, before we start, can somebody turn the AC on in here at the back there? Just someone that knows how to push some buttons, please. 
I feel like a TV evangelist up here with like a sweat cloth. I'm like, and the Lord said, you know, I'm like trying to breathe out fire and brimstone, right? I'm like, I feel sweat running down my face. Maybe it's the topic we're talking about. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of Proverbs. It says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. So once again, he's telling his son, he's saying, hey, lean in, incline your ear to this wisdom that I'm about to share with you. Okay, he's saying pay attention. He knows every chapter from chapters 1 through 9, he starts by saying this statement. He says, lean in, pay attention to what I have to say to you. Look at verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Now, when the Bible uses those kinds of statements, it makes you go, what is he talking about, right? Like, you would never say to a woman today, you know, your lips are like honey. You know, your, your mouth is like olive oil. Like, that'd make no sense. She'd be like, you are weird. This conversation is over. But when he says that, what he means, it's just really obvious. I mean, he's saying to her, like, you're, you're tempting. You're, you, you're beautiful. Everything about you seems good, seems lovely, seems beautiful. But then look at verse 4. It says, but in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. And all the guys said amen to that, right? She is as bitter as poison. Now, here's the funny thing about this passage. When I say we're discussing sexuality, I know all the girls think to themselves, oh, it's going to be a talk on pornography. It doesn't apply to us. But here's the deal, ladies. This passage is talking about a woman, okay, and the kind of woman you should not be, okay? So this applies to both genders, so don't write us off just yet. But here's what, here's what I want you to get from this. He's describing a woman that we would call seductive, someone who is, who puts out the vibe, so to speak, someone who is really putting herself out there for guys, the immoral woman. And what he says about this kind of woman, this might be someone, so think about this. I know when I say those, those words, you think about, okay, this is a, a real person that you know, maybe a friend or a potential girlfriend, but think about this. This does not just have to be someone that you know. This could be someone on a screen, right? This could be someone on a screen. The same thing still applies. And so what I want you to get today is that when I say the word lust, in in the girls' minds, they think, oh, it's a talk for the guys. Well, that's partly true. But it's also a talk for you because here's how I define lust. Okay, it's true that guys lust in a very sort of outward way. We see something, we go, that's beautiful, I want that, right? So guys desire. Guys desire is kind of outward. But a girl's desire is kind of inward. Like they want to be desired. They want someone to want them like that, right? And so a girl's lust is just kind of reversed a bit. And so um, not typically, but... But girls don't typically look at us guys and think, oh, wow, that's beautiful, right? Because we're just not. We're just not. I mean, I know you have your, your heart throbs that you would throw out there, but that guy ain't in this room, okay? 
And so, so, so here's the deal. For guys, lust is kind of outward. We desire, but girls want to be desired. That is their form of lust, okay? They want someone to want them like that, okay? And so, so don't write yourself off and think, oh, that doesn't apply to me because it definitely does apply to you. So this is the kind of woman that he is describing here. And I think that some of you guys, you are falling or have the potential to fall for this kind of woman. And for some of you girls, you have great potential to be this kind of woman. So, so here's how temptation works. We see in this passage sort of the cycle of temptation. You see someone and you go, wow, that is, that is beautiful, that is good, everything seems good and right. He, he uses words like sweet as honey, smooth as oil. But in Israel... Nothing is sweeter than the substance of honey. Nothing is smoother than olive oil. So he's using those words to describe this woman, but here's what he says. In the end, the honey turns to poison. In the end, what you thought was honey is really poison. I know many of you can relate to this idea because on Facebook, I see status updates for maybe a month or so where someone writes, oh, we're so in love, oh, this is just so amazing. You're the best boyfriend or girlfriend ever. Oh, my gosh. I, and it's going on and on and on. And then a month later, it's, I hate men. I wish men would all go to hell. Right? And I'm going, yeah, something definitely happened there. And so this, this works for both genders. It works for both at the beginning, you think, this is great, this is good, this is beautiful, and all of a sudden, something just happens, and it usually has to do with the physical relationship, not always, but typically, and something turns, and you realize what seemed like honey becomes poison to you, is like poison, just bitter, just how could you treat me like that? Look with me down at verse 5. He says, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. So like a grim reaper leading someone down an abyss into their death is this woman. That's the picture that I just got. Is that the picture you just got of that, of that woman? <laughs> so here's what it says. It says she staggers. It says she staggers as if she's so intoxicated and drunk with her own sin, and she can't even see her own sin. She doesn't even realize how messed up she is. She's on this pathway to destruction, and she doesn't even know what pathway she's on. What he's showing us there is that sin leads to blindness. It's not just that blindness leads to sin, but when you commit sinful actions, it actually calluses your heart to the point where you become more and more blind to what the truth really is. And you can't even see the pathway that you're on because you're so dark and depraved. So with that happy thought in mind, let's do questions one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.
Okay, so this is the part where I interrupt you and get you all angry at me, but it's okay. I can handle it. Uh, we'll do some more discussion in a few moments. I'm trying to make sure that I'm not causing a traffic jam in the parking lot uh, at the end here. So uh, look at verse 7. Look down at chapter 5, verse 7, where he says, So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Hang on one second. My phone is like speaking to me here. It's weird. It's strange. The thing is possessed. Anyone else have like a demon in their iPhone like I do? Weird. I'll start over. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her, exclamation point. Don't go near the door of her house, exclamation point. Did you get that? Now, he says, don't go near her. That means don't be friends with her. You run from her. Like Joseph, you turn and you run from her, right? Now, I know your excuse as a guy might be, but, but she needs Jesus. Really? Are you really going to fall for that one? Are you going to let Satan like, talk you into that one? You're like, Satan's like, yeah, yeah, go. She needs Jesus. Go, go with her, right? And, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, sure, yeah. She needs Jesus. It's for a good cause, right? So he says, don't go near her. Don't go near the door of her house. So you might think to yourself, all right, I don't have, if you're a guy in the room, you might think to yourself, I don't have a lot of girls inviting me over to their house. That doesn't happen a lot, all right? I understand that. That's, that's, that's good. But here's the deal, though. The same thing applies to things like internet, media, other kinds of outlets, because that kind of woman, in a sense, is inviting you to the door of her house and beyond, right? And so this applies, definitely applies to you, because what are the other ways that you go near the door of her house? There are all kinds of ways in today's culture that you go near the door of her house. And that means maybe, just maybe you shouldn't stay up late on the internet. Just maybe you shouldn't turn the TV on when everyone's asleep in their bedrooms. Just maybe those are ways that God wants you to not go near the door of her house. And if someone, if a real person, a live person does invite you, and you know that there's going to be trouble, this is not a good person, this girl has no character, the answer has to be no. No. There, there was this girl, I used to work at a country club in Arlington, Texas. There was this girl that worked with us who was literally always trying to get guys to come over to her house. And the answer for me was no. No. The answer has to be no. Because you and I both know what happens when you go near the door of her house. Literally and figuratively. We all know what happens there. That is not a good place to be. I had a friend back in high school who started kind of being seduced by a woman at work in this way. She was like four years older than him, so he was all flattered by it and stuff. And, and at one point, he went to her house. He finally gave in. He went to her house, and they got involved sexually. And months later, he finds out from someone else that she might be HIV positive. And so he's living in fear, just, oh my gosh, what have I done? 
It turned out not to be the case. But you know what? That doesn't matter because the spiritual damage had been done to his soul. And that person has kind of gone off into a lifestyle of that kind of sin. And so the answer is no. The answer is no, right? Look at the next, uh, next verse. Here's what, here's what happens if you give into that kind of temptation. Verse 9, it says, If you do, you will lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. So he hits three things there. He hits reputation, he hits money, and he even hits disease. I mean, the Bible is prophetic, is it not? I'm not sure if they had STDs per se back then, but the Bible is prophetic, right? So if you sin in this area, not just physical sex, but pornography, all of the above, if you sin in sexuality and you stay on that path throughout your life, you will lose a lot when it comes to honor, reputation, when it comes to even money. I tell you what, divorce is expensive. Ask anyone who's gone through it, it is expensive. You will give your wealth to everyone else because of your sin. That's what will happen to you, and even disease. Now, these shouldn't be the reasons, just the reasons why you don't sin in this area, but they are definitely the consequences, the physical consequences of sin in this area of sexuality. Look at verse 12. You will say, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin, and now I must face public disgrace. You know, I've never met anyone in my life who said, I'm so glad that I cheated on my wife. I'm so glad that I messed up our family. I'm so glad that I looked at pornography at the age of 15. I've never met anyone who's ever said that to me. And so what often happens is this person often dies a lonely death because they've lived this way their entire life. Their, their family withdraws from them. Their, their kids don't respect them. And it's sad. It's really, really sad. It is sad. And this person, I, I just imagine this person sitting on their deathbed, looking back on their life and saying, so many people warned me. So many people told me what wisdom was, and I didn't listen. I didn't listen. And they'll look back and they'll say, how could I have been so foolish? And in a sense, they become haunted by the words of their teachers. They become haunted by the people that tried to put wisdom into them. And let me just tell you right now, if, if you choose to walk in sin in this area of your life, I hope that today's message haunts you. I hope that today's message literally haunts you to where you can't sleep at night. Because some of you in the room right now, you don't take sexual sin seriously. You just don't. And I pray that what we're about to talk about literally haunts you. I don't want you to get back to the end of your life and look back on this talk and say, I should have listened. I should have listened to what he had to say. I want you to walk away from here, and I want you to be haunted by 
what God's word says. And so there's two main issues I want to address this morning. And the first one is pornography and media. Just those two kind of combined. Some of you have no fear of God in this area of your life. You have no fear of him in this area of sexual sin, especially in the area of pornography and media. Some of you think this to yourself. You think, you know, I'll look at pornography now, but once I get married, I'll stop. Well, first of all, it's wrong now as much as it would be if you were married. So that excuse is not going to work. Secondly, do you know how many married men look at pornography? A ton. So do you really think you can jack up the wiring of your brain to the point where you can just flip a switch and recover? That's not how sin works. Sin is like an addictive drug, especially sexual sin. And if you think for a minute that you can just sort of turn that off whenever you get married one day, you're just completely wrong. Completely wrong. And so let me ask you this question. This is for guys and for the girls. If pornography is a problem for you, if it's a problem for you, then why do you have internet on your iPhone? If it's a problem for you, why do you have a computer in your room? If it's a problem for you, why do you have unfiltered access at home on the computer? If it's a problem for you, then why does your family have unfiltered Netflix streaming account? You see, some of you in this room right now, you need to go home today and, and tell your parents, literally, say, I can't have internet on my phone anymore. I can't have internet in my room anymore. I can't have access to movie channels on TV anymore. I can't have a Netflix streaming account anymore. Because some of you don't, you don't fear God in this area at all. You don't take him seriously at all in the area of sexuality. I mean, think about what you expose yourself to with movies. I mean, everyone's going to say that, like, the hardcore pornography movies are, of course, bad. But what about the ones that are not so much like that, but they slip scenes into the film? And, and you know they're going to be there before you even watch the film. And you go and act like you don't know, right? And you're like, well, I didn't know. I mean, what are we going to do, leave the movie theater, right? And so here's the question. What about what you watch because I've heard conversations even in this room of movies that you've seen, and I'll go and look it up on imdb.com and see what's in it. And if I just read to you, not show on the screen, but just read to you what's in the films that you watch, you'd be really, really, really embarrassed. We all would be. So what about what you expose yourself to in all the areas of media? Not just pornography on the internet. And, and let me tell you something. I am, I am done hearing the excuses. I am done hearing excuses like, well, I've got to have email in my room. I've got to have Facebook in my room. I've got to have, I'm done with the excuses. Done with them. Because you don't fear God in this area of sexuality. 
to keep all of these media outlets if you struggle with pornography, is like giving a starving man a steak and telling him not to eat it. That's what you're doing to yourself if you struggle in this area. And some of you might say, well, I, I can't tell my parents. I'll be embarrassed. Well, what's your future marriage worth to you? What's your soul worth to you? I mean, let's put it on a scale. Being embarrassed, your future marriage. Which one weighs more? Which one should you care about more? Being embarrassed or the spiritual state of your soul? Which one weighs more? Which one should you care about more? Yeah, you might be embarrassed a little bit, but you know what? You're using wisdom. You're using great wisdom. And so what's your, what's your walk with Christ worth to you? What's your future marriage worth to you? You do whatever it takes, because I am done hearing excuses as to why you continue to expose yourself to these media outlets over and over and over again, and then wonder why you struggle. I'm done with that. The second thing I want to talk about is relationships. Let me be really, really clear this morning. If you are in a relationship right now, and you are doing anything sexual, stop. Stop. You are walking in sin. Stop. And you're like, we're not having sex. We're just kind of messed. Stop. Stop. The Bible is clear. It is not just technical sex that is wrong and sinful. It is the whole package. If you're not married to someone, stop. Just stop it, right? Let me be really clear this morning. If you, in fact, you need to break up. Don't just try to stop. You need to break up with that person. And I'll tell you why. Because it is impossible to withstand that kind of temptation once you've gone there if you stay with that person. It is impossible. And you say, no, no, no. We'll stay together. I can handle it. No, you can't handle it because you've already proven that you can't. You've already proven that you can't handle it. So you need to break up with the relationship and, and move on and get right with God. Now you might say, oh, well, it's okay because we're, we're in a committed relationship. I don't see a ring. I'm sorry, I don't see a ring. You are not in a committed relationship in God's eyes, if that is you. You might say, oh, we love each other. No, you don't. You don't love her. If you love her, you would care what God, about what God calls sin, and you'd respect and honor her. That's showing love for someone. So if you love her, then prove it. Prove it by respecting her. Prove it by honoring her physically. So how are you doing in those two areas of your life? Relationships, pornography, media. Do you fear God in this area of your life? Do you fear Him? Do you have a respect for God in this area of your life? And I want to bring all of this back to Jesus and the cross. Because if, if, you've, if you're in the room right now and you've been, if you've been cheated on before, it is the worst feeling in the world. I can't think of a feeling that's worse than being cheated on in a relationship. So imagine now being married and your husband or your wife cheats. It's called adultery, right? And so throughout the Bible... 
God compares all sin to adultery. He calls the Israelites, he calls them adulterers. And so in a sense, all sin is a form of cheating on God. God calls all sin adultery. And so imagine how you'd feel if one person cheated on you. Imagine being married and someone cheats on you, how that make you feel. Now imagine how God feels when all of us cheat on him. The Bible calls that any kind of sin adultery towards God. But here's what God does. In his grace, in his forgiveness, he gives us Jesus. And so even though we, before we come to know Christ, we are considered adulterers against God, God in his grace bridges that sin gap with Jesus and gives us grace, gives us forgiveness if we receive it. Doesn't mean there aren't great consequences for our sin, but there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. And so I've been real hard on sin, but I want to make sure you guys understand something this morning, that grace covers whatever you have done. Look at me. If you're someone in the room and you have messed up, I don't want you to hear and you feel like God's pulling on your heart to turn from that and repent and confess. That's awesome. And I want you to know that he forgives you completely and totally if you take that sin to the cross, to him. This is not meant to be a guilt talk, but if you're someone that needs to feel the weight of your guilt, then for you maybe it does need to be a guilt talk, a conviction talk. But there is grace for those that have fallen in this area. Look down at verse 22. It says, an evil man is held captive. Verse 22 of chapter 5. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Look at the picture he uses. He says, an evil man is held captive by his own sins, like he's been arrested by them. Like he can't move. He's, he's bound. He's a slave. And some of you this morning, you see sin as freedom. You see sin as getting to do what you want to do. You see it as freedom. But he's really clear here that sin is not freedom. Sin is a form of slavery. Sin is what keeps you bound up. Sin is what holds you down in a sense. And so before we surrender to Christ, we are held captive by our sin. And so here's where Jesus comes in again. Jesus breaks the cords of our sin. Jesus breaks the power and the hold that sin has on us. Jesus breaks the reign of sin over our lives. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 14. Just look at the screen here for this one. It says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. What he's saying is that when you come to know Christ, when you put your, your life in Christ's hands, you submit to him, you surrender your life to him, that sin no longer is your master. You're no longer under the power and reign of sin. There are people in this room this morning that you've never put your life in Christ's hands. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. And so before we fix the issue of sexuality, you've got to give your heart to Jesus first. 
You can't fix this on your own. You've got to give your heart to Christ first and let him change you in this area of sexual, sexual sin. So that's first. Some have not surrendered your life to him, and you need to surrender your life to him today. Get on your knees, pray to him, and, say, and cry out to him and say, I cannot defeat sin on my own, especially this one. I need you to defeat all of my sin. I'm giving my life to you today. Submit to him and surrender to him today. But some of you in the room have, you're a Christian, you're trying to walk with Jesus, but you're struggling, and you have no idea where to turn. And some of you need to surrender this part of your life, sexuality, to him, and you have not done that yet. You are walking in sin in some of these areas, and you need to surrender that to him as well. And so what I want you to do is to let this kind of sit for a minute. And I want you to understand the whole issue comes back to, do you have a fear of God? Do you have reverence for him and what he says? Because if you're living how you want right now in these areas and not how he wants, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And so I want you to have a a few moments to kind of process some of this at your tables. And so um, we've got a few more questions for you to discuss. And I pray, guys, that, that you get this, that you get this today. Go ahead and discuss the last few questions. Go ahead and pray for your tables when you're finished as well.